Precious Father, we want to thank you, give you praise and glory for the privilege we have tonight to study your word. We trust you to guide us through this, to teach us by your spirit, and cause your word to enter every here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are, very interesting study we're having. This is uh, the study of the book of Galatia. We are rounding up the book of Galatia. And we're going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 today. So we do Galatia chapter 6 Galatia and Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, but before we go to Galatia chapter 6, we need to remind ourselves where we ended in Galatia chapter 5 so that the flow of thought will continue. So um, we, we, last week, I mean, we were talking about, uh, we ended with the verses where Paul was explaining to the believer what forces are at work in him so that he understands that because he's a believer now, that the sinful desires will still be pulling at him. Just like, yeah, we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we're healed by the source of Jesus, but sicknesses still attack us, which is a different dimension. We're going to talk about that during the Living World Conference. But here, Paul is trying to let the believer know that the fact that you are a Christian now, born again with a new life, does not mean that you are free of the pool of sin. And all of us living as Christians can identify with this. We don't have to be told this because that is a, that is a truth we experience. So he said, you know, these are the sinful desires that pull us as Christians. These are the natural tendencies of the natural being because we have two natures. We have the natural being, we have the spiritual being. And then the, the non-spirit part of us that is not born again, will never be born again. The dust part of us that goes to the dust finally where it belongs, it is not of the spirit world, it is of this earth because we are formed from the earth. So it didn't come from heaven, it came from here. So it's a life, so it has its own mind, it has its own desires, it has the kind of things it does, natural. You know, oppressed through the natural senses, feelings, emotions, and stuff like that. So Paul is letting the Christian understand that this is real. To neglect this, you make yourself vulnerable. This is real. And Peter wrote about it, 1 Peter 2, 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly loss, which war. It's a war against the soul. It's a battle. We're always talking about spiritual battle, but this is the... This one, if you lose here, you lose the spiritual battle. If you lose this one, you lose, you lose a lot. You know? So we confront these things virtually every day, most of the time. We confront them from a position of strength, not weakness. There is no battle in our life that we have, we don't have what it takes to overcome. That's why we overcome us, we are more than conquerors. So we confront them from a position of strength not weakness. We realize that we have a new spirit identity created to be like God. When you have the nature of God in you, you have the nature of God in you that enables you to live the life of God that he designed for us to live. You are born again of the spirit of God. Being born again is not just Pentecostal uh, jargon. It's not just Pentecostal language. It's a reality. 
we must know the significance of the fact that we are born again. It's important. So knowing that we are so equipped, that we, therefore, it gives us a position of strength to be able to confront these things that pull us to do what God doesn't want us to do. Now, in Romans 6, he said, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. It's not talking about the natural man because you are still the same way you are. It's talking about the spirit being that the body of sin might be done away with. The body of sin has been done away with in a Christian. That is the spirit part of him. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. We are no more. I don't have excuse to give. Neither do you. We are not slaves to sin. You know, to realize that you are now empowered by the power of Christ. Apart from the fact that your nature is changed, your, you, the old nature has been cut away, there's another dimension, another layer of empowerment that the Christian has, that Christ lives in him. Therefore, the Bible says you have overcome the world because of the presence of Christ in you. He is the power at work in you to will and to do the good pleasure of God. So don't underestimate who you are and what God has equipped you with. So you have to realize that we are now empowered by the power of Christ and working us to resist that pull of the flesh. And so to know that you are free from the dominion of such desires and appetites. You don't have obligation to do them because as we read, we've been set free from them. They are no more dominant. We're no more slaves to them. You know, so Romans 8, 12 says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. It will urge you but you don't have the obligation to do that. Will he urge you? Of course. That's what Paul is saying. But you don't have the obligation to do that. Urging is not the sin. It's, it's doing it. It's, re, it's responding and yielding to it that it is sin. Because the devil would make you think that urging, the, the urge of the sinful nature is the sin. No. Because the sinful nature will urge you to do something. But as long as you resist it and you're not doing you haven't committed any sin. But if you don't know this, the devil will pummel you and say, oh, you call yourself a Christian. Yes, that's what Paul is saying, that there'll be this pull that comes, these urges that come, but you can resist them. So we also know that we have an option now. It's another option we have. is to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He was sent to help us. He was sent to guide us. He was sent to reveal the truth to us, the truth of any situation. It's not just, it just, just, it's not just scriptures. The truth of any situation, who to marry, your job, things that happen in your, in your life, he's sent to guide you in it. He's sent to help you know how to get out of a situation. You know, so we have a, the spirit of God to guide us, to, to guide us. The Bible says he will make a world of escape for us, and he does, you know. So the, there's this thing I saw from Enduring World website. It said, the idea is the spirit has given you life now. Now let him direct your steps. The idea is that the spirit has given you life. So let the spirit now direct the steps of that life he's giving you. Or as the reverse English Bible put it, if the spirit is the source of our life, then let the spirit also direct its course. That's the simple thing Paul is saying. Let the spirit direct the course of your life and not your flesh. When we have the sixth one that we're going to talk about. That's repentance, the place of repentance and course correcting ourselves daily. But let's read what, how Paul concluded this, uh, uh, this 
portion of Galatia we're talking about. So, that's verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm reading New Living Translation. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. See what he's saying? If the Spirit gave you life, then let him guide it. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You see? So the Spirit didn't leave us with instruction how to deal with this. But the point is that sometimes we love those cravings of the sinful nature. We love it. We love to be an anger because it pumps your ego, you know, somebody like me. She would treat me like that. You, you love this, you know, being prideful and stuff like that. Sometimes it's, it's the love we have for those things. That's what is really the, the problem. We might be in denial and say, no, no, no. But sometimes the love, sometimes, I'm not always, but sometimes the love we have for those things, those pleasures it gives, that, that is, is the main issue. Not that we don't have the power to say no. So he said, I said, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you wouldn't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It's as simple as that. The sinful nature wants to do evil. So it urges us to do evil. Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. We're not talking about your flesh fighting the Holy Spirit. It is fighting your own spirit. Your own spirit. This battle is not between the Holy Spirit and your flesh. No. It is your new nature that it doesn't want to manifest. But your new nature is stronger than it. It's stronger than it. What the Lord could not do, God did by sending Christ to give us this new nature that is stronger than our flesh. This new nature is empowered by the presence of Christ in it. So, he said, 18, but when you are, let me read 17 again. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation of the law of Moses. He's saying, you see, the law of Moses can't help you here. You can't have the empowerment that the Holy Spirit has. The Spirit in you has empowered your spirit. The Lord, what, what can He do for you? So, in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now, it tells us sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, that is like being greedy, idolatry, sorcery. Sorcery. You know that I realize that in many places, all they do is tell the so-called prophets. So there's no preaching the word of God to tell them what will happen tomorrow. Say, remember the one I told you, the other one, it happened. Now, that's all they do. It's a prophet. Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, 21, envy, drunkenness, wide parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, people who live this kind of lifestyle, they're not really Christians. They are being controlled by their flesh. It is of the flesh. It's not of the spirit. 
They are living fleshly lives. They won't inherit the kingdom of God because that identifies them as not being part of Christ. By their fruits, you shall know them. Let's not, let's, let's not joke with these things. Let's not joke with these things. Paul said, he said, let me tell you again, as I before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because you can't bring a kettle and say, oh, I have hot water in this kettle. And when you pour it, what comes out is cold water. And you're swearing that there's hot water in there. There has to be deceit somewhere. Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. The fruits of their life. If I'm in there, you will see me in action. Does it mean that if, if, because a Christian sinned, it's not a Christian? No. But there are people who live this habitually. It, it is they are identified by it. It becomes habitually their lifestyle. And they don't plan to change. They have no plans of changing. They are just immersed in it. That doesn't equate to a Christian who, who, who sins and repents. That's not the same thing. Because you're a Christian now. When you do things like that, you feel so, man, you feel so bad. It shows that something is in you that doesn't agree with what you did. You really feel bad. But there are people who do this thing, they don't repent, they don't bother, they just keep, in fact, they're doing more, just doing whatever they like. That's what people were talking about, people who live this lifestyle. Verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. 23. Gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions, desires of their sinful nature to his cross, crucified them there. He's saying if you belong to Christ, that your old nature that, that craves this thing has been crucified and finished, that you have risen in a newness of life. Will the poor come? Of course. But is it supposed to enslave you? No, unless you allow yourself to be enslaved by things like that. Because now we are slaves of righteousness. When we, were, when we didn't have Christ, we were slaves of sin. And the Bible says we're excused from righteousness. But when we have Christ, the reverse happened. We became slaves of righteousness and we, we are dead to the world. That's the reverse. When you come to Christ, you are dead to the world. You are alive unto Christ. You are alive unto Christ. But when you are not in Christ, you are dead to the things of God. You are alive to the world. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow now the Spirit leading in every part of our lives. 26. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Let's not just live this life of the flesh, this life that is coming from 
following the dictates of the flesh. Now we come to number six, how to deal with this, this part of all that is pulling us. Repentance for the believer. Repentance is how we live in Christ, to correct ourselves daily. Repentance is not what you do once. It's not what you do once. It's, what, it's a cost correction that, oh, I'm going off. Then you correct yourself. You repent. You change. You, it's like your car is going off. You turn it to the right road. It is not a once-for-all thing for a believer. It is really daily and as, as, as the occasion demands. Now, Paul was talking about it to the church in Ephesus, when he called all the Christian leaders, the pastors and the leaders, he started to tell them about the importance of repenting from sinful acts for the Christian. Acts 20, 17 to 21. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, all of them, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia, until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. And every Christian and every preacher must hear this. Don't shrink back from telling people the truth. Never what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Don't shrink back from telling people the truth. They may not like it, but that's, our, that's your responsibility. Even tell yourself the truth too, because self-deceit is the, is the height of it. Look, talk to yourself, tell yourself the truth. Be honest, brutally honest with yourself. He said, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or on your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin. He's talking to Christian leaders now. He's not talking to unbelievers here. Necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God. And of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That the Christian must, 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 must. It is necessary that we keep repenting and, and renewing our confidence in the word of God. Renewing our confidence in the word of God. Now, he also wrote <clears throat> to the Corinthians and telling us that the thing that leads to repentance is godly sorrow. That's, that's why it's important for us to admit our fault, to tell ourselves the truth. That's why confession is important. Some people say, oh, you don't have to confess your sin. No, you have to. Oh, you have to admit what you did now. You have to. It's important. Because that's why you identify the pre That's why you tell yourself the truth. The heart of mind is so, is so tricky. You have to confront yourself and say, yeah, I did this thing. And not blame it on somebody else. Take full responsibility of your actions. So in 2 Corinthians 17, for godly sorrow, walk it repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Walk it repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. To, to salvation means to be pulled away from that thing that is trying to enslave you. Remember, it's a war against our soul. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world walketh death. What is the sorrow of the world? The sorrow of the world is, oh, you are sorrowful because of your ego. 
you know, so they'd be angry that why did they know who told on me? That's that your concern is your ego. Your concern is not that you did something wrong. It's your ego. And then when a Christian begins to have that kind of sorrow of the world, he starts telling lies to cover his, what, his fault. He's not going to be honest and admit it. He will start blaming people, blame game. He will start looking for excuses. That's the sorrow of the world. It's not, you're not, you're not going to help yourself that way. He's not going to help you that way. The way that helps us, me and you, is to be honest. The Bible says that God desires truth in the inward part. It's to look at myself and say, you know what, I did this. And then the sorrow is not because of that somebody knows or the disadvantage it brings, but the sorrow is because you have recognized that this is sinful. This is wrong. This is not what you should do. You own it up. The scripture says that is what brings genuine repentance. But this other one, the sorrow of the world, where you are oh, considering your ego, trying to protect yourself, trying to tell lies to cover it up, you are not going to repent in it. You are going to be doing that thing. I'm not kidding. You are going to be doing it. Because the scripture says that what leads to repentance is godly sorrow. Then Paul told them, see how godly sorrow changed you Corinthians. He said in verse 11, for behold, this self-same thing, this same godly sorrow, that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness they wrought in you. See what they brought in them? Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire you now have. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. When you have genuine sorrow or godly sorrow, you don't care about your ego. You just want to get out of the rut. That's what David, man, David was something else. He was always, David never shifted anything. He would take the blame. That man was very humble. Now, the unbelievers, we, we, Christians get confused when they hear the word repentance. So they apply the same repentance to the Christian. To the unbeliever. But that's not scriptural. The unbeliever cannot really repent like a, a believer does. Because he's still a slave. <laughs> he's still a slave. There's a spirit that walketh in children with disobedience. He's still a slave. So all his crying and repentance, what will he do? He's still a slave. It will take him nowhere. He's not a child of God. We won't give him salvation. No. So repentance to the unbeliever is different. In Jeremiah 13, 21, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you, then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. You who have evil nature, are you going to change? It's like removing your, the leopard is removing the spot. So before I got saved, man, we used to repent a lot. Oh, man, we, I used to fast a lot. I'm telling you, every Wednesday fasting, Friday fasting, Sunday fasting, I will read Psalm 6, read Psalm 51, repent, read it seven times, 20 times, repent, confess. But that didn't get me saved. It didn't get me saved. Because salvation is not by works. A leopard cannot change its spot. I, my spot was still there. You can't get rid of this 
sinful and Adamic nature by coming to confessing your sins and repenting of it. That means nothing. God provided us freedom in Christ, provided us forgiveness in Christ, provided us redemption in Christ. You don't have to do anything because there's nothing you do that can save you. You just come and take what God gave you. Period. Colossians 2.11. In him, listen to this, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made with our hands. It's only in Christ that this spot of the leopard can be taken off. Because that's the problem. People are thinking of conduct. They forget. They forget that Adam's sin spread to all men. They forget where the problem is coming from. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made with our hands by putting up the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It is when we come to Christ. Only Christ can cut off that thing. You don't beg him to do that. He already did it on the cross. All you need to do is to come and accept it, and it will become a reality in your life. So, where some very many, well-meaning Christians, I was listening to one beloved brother, was talking about this. He said, oh, how can there be salvation without repentance? I love him so much. I love him. And I'm not better than him. I'm sincerely, I'm not better than him. I thank God for him. Honestly, I do thank God for his life, his zeal, his commitment. Wonderful brother. Seriously wonderful. Heaven bound. But he was saying that, you know, you, 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 I can't even imagine salvation without repentance. He's thinking of acts. He's not thinking of nature. Now let, let's read. Let's read what Peter said. That's where people read, and they think, "Oh, Peter is saying you have to do something to be saved." No, it's not what he's saying. Acts chapter nine, three, verse nineteen: Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You see, so they read it, they say, see, you have to repent before you are saved. Question, what does that repentance do? Quit scripture. Quit. Where did you see in the whole Bible, in the whole New Testament, where the apostles asked somebody to repent before he received Jesus? We'll understand this scripture very soon. So verse 20, just because of time. And he shall say, Jesus, quit before was preached unto you. Verse 23. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Verse 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from, your, from his iniquities. Now, what was Peter actually saying? Peter was preaching to a Jewish audience. Remember that Paul was for the Gentiles. Peter was for the Jews. He was preaching to a Jew. If you read the whole of that, just two portions of it. He said, you are the sons of the prophet. And you people know what the prophet said now. He was trying to convince them that they were the people that killed Christ. They rejected him. So he was telling them to repent from rejection of Christ, to come back to accepting him. So that the time of refreshing, a new birth, a new life will start in their life. 
and then the, he would deliver them from iniquity. So he was talking about to the Jews who crucified Christ as a heretic. And he told them in that, in that verse, he said, you did it in ignorance. You did all that in ignorance. Look at John 1, 11. You see why Peter was saying that. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become sons of God. Even then that believe in his name. Though that believe in his name, which were born not of, the, of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So Peter was calling them back to repentance, to accept Christ, whom they rejected and crucified. And all you need to do is to read further down to chapter 4. You will see where he spelled it out. They have to believe in the Lord Jesus to be saved. Now, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 10. It's in the same discussion from Acts chapter 3 going down to Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom you rejected, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you who. This is the stone which was set at naught by you builders. You see, he's talking to them. <laughs> you builders. Which has become the head of the corner. You can't do anything without him. Neither is there salvation in any other. You see, he addressed it straight away. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, men whereby we must be saved. You see, you people rejected him. You people, you, you put him at naught. You didn't want him, but he is the cornerstone. And there's no salvation without him. And it is his name, faith in his name, that works. Okay? So look at Peter again. Peter, Acts chapter 10, speaking to Cornelius. Because he's told the Jews, he said, you are the sons of the prophets. You people should know that the prophets spoke about this man. Now look at Acts chapter 10. Peter again referring to prophets. He says, to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Case closed. All the prophets. He was telling them in chapter 3, Acts, he said, you are the sons of the prophets, and you know he's the one that Moses even wrote about. But you people crucified him. You rejected him. So you need to accept him now. So a time of refreshing will come. So he bless you with deliverance from sin. To him, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, Whosoever, whosoever believes. Do you believe in him? You have received remission of sin. Period. Because he shed his blood for you. Why Peter was still speaking this was the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who had the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit have been poured out on the Gentiles also. So you see, they didn't even confess anything. Are you kidding me? If that is condition, why didn't the Holy Spirit say, Peter, they should repent first? They didn't even say one word. There was no prayer said. Absolutely nothing. Zero. And the Holy Spirit confirmed 
that they have received that word. Their sins were remitted. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you can give other examples. The Ethiopia eunuch just said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he was baptized. And the Holy Spirit took Philip away and said, their job is done. There's no thing. To... And all that Philip did was preach to him Christ. Because to him, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Why? Because this is the blood which is being shed for the remission of your sins. The blood was shed for the remission of the sins. You don't have to beg for it. It's already shed, already done. All you need to do is to come and accept it by faith and say, yes, it was shed for me. That's it. The only sin that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of is the sin of rejecting the Son of God. That's the only sin. John 16, 8. And when he, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Not sins. He said one word, sin. Not S-I-N-S. One. S-I-N means one. Not two. If it's two, it says sins. All your sins. No. One. And then he will convict them of righteousness and of judgment. He will convict them, convict the world of sin, not sins. Why? Because they do not believe in me. So their sin is, they have to believe in him to be saved. Look, everybody that is not saved is not saved. You're not going to be saved because you started crying and God said, okay, now you cried enough. <laughs> let, let, let us save you. No, salvation has been provided, my friend. It is not dependent on what you do. It's dependent on what Christ did. Because they do not believe in me. That's the thing. They do not believe in me. What does it mean to convict? It's a declaration of guilt. That their sin is that they don't believe in me. Why? Look at John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you see any other condition there? The Holy Spirit says the sin they have, they don't believe in me. John wrote it here. Whosoever believes in should not perish, but have everlasting life. 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, to make them cry. Need the same thing to do that. But that the world through him might be saved. Then verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned people. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Go back to what John 16. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment of sin, because they do not believe in me. Go down again. Go down again to John chapter 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn them. So they'll be crying for their sins and doing all that kind of thing. But that the world through him might be saved. 18. He that believeth on him. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of not believing on him. Because he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned. Already. Because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's how, that's how salvation comes. Now, so they added this repentance thing because they think, you know, what can he say, you know? He has to, he has to cry now. He has a lot of things he did. That is salvation by works. What, what role does he play? A man is bound. <laughs> There's a spirit that walketh in children of disobedience. Does, it, does that repentance deliver him from that? Does it deliver him from his Adamic nature? What does it do? Does it, when he does that, then Jesus will say, okay, you know, now you have, you have cried enough. He says, okay, let me clean your ears. Uh, come, let me, let me save you. Are you serious? What happened on the cross? Titus 3, 4, 8. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's not by what we did. But according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace. We should be made here as according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things are will that thou affirm constantly. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto me. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. We're done with chapter 5. Now Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bring, bear one another's body, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So what is he writing here? He says, the how we help a Christian who has fallen, who has missed his way, is not by worsening his situation. It's not by kicking him, you know, gossiping about him, condemning him, that we come with love to restore him. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He said, those who are spiritual, that's what they do. Those who are kind of go gossiping, gossiping. Somebody say, Christians are the only ones who see their brother from Jericho to, to, to wherever. Jericho to, and then the thieves 
knocked him down. They come and put, take their leg and hit him on the, on the, and say, look at you, call yourself a Christian. They'll be hating him more and more. He said, instead of carrying him to where they will add oil and pay so that he recover. No, they come and gossip about him, tell each other about him, everywhere they're talking about him, finish him. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, not those kind of people won't do this. Spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know, in the body of Christ, they have groups. They sit down and they are gossiping about a particular person who they consider is so evil. It happens in churches. I'm telling you. I don't know what happened to people's conscience. The Bible says, speak, speak, don't speak evil of anybody. No, you have to talk about so evil, such an evil person. You that you are so good, why are you doing that? Is it not somebody that God will use to help somebody find his way? He says, spiritual people are the ones. That's how you know whether you are spiritual or not gentleness, with love, considering that I too may do the same thing. I'm not better. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, what is the law of Christ? John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How does Jesus restore you? Does he come and gossip, tell people about you? Is it not what we say? You, you repent, <laughs> he forgives you, and then you move on. He said, by this shall all men know you, that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. If you have love one to another. Romans 13, it owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. That shall not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love walketh no ill to his neighbor. Love does not do evil to anybody. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, in 1 John 3.22, and whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. Just in case we are not sure. That we should believe on the name of the Son, the Son Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment. But continuously believe in the name of Jesus. Continuously trust in the Son of God. And then love one another as he commanded us. He that keepeth his commandment dwelt in him. And he in him. Hereby we know that... He abided in us by the spirit which has given us. So when we walk in love, that's how you confirm that it's abiding in you. It's not by running to, from one fellowship to the other, just, just wasting your time. That doesn't make you spiritual. It's not, it's not even by how many hours you pray. What, what proves that you are spiritual is that the spirit of Christ is manifesting and people see. People see.
Then he says, he says in, in Galatians 6 verse 4, verse 3, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he saves himself. So you think you are too important to do this? You are too holy to, to help somebody out? He said, you're just deceiving yourself. Just deceiving yourself. Then our responsibility to our pastors and those who teach us the word of God. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. This is our responsibility to our pastors and then Sunday school teachers, life center teachers, those who teach us the word. It's, it, is, it would be wonderful that a life center can, get, can begin to think of how to bless their life center leader. In, her, in his bad day, her bad day, you know, Christmas or something. Because he's laboring in the world. He said, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Then it is surprising that the Lord of sowing and reaping is attached to this thing. I'm being honest with you. I've been thinking about this thing. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is no more. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It's coming out of this verse 6. It surprises me. Verse 8, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose her. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. So he's saying that, listen, that if you, if you, if you, sow into the flesh, if you invest in the flesh, if you invest your time, your resources in fleshly things, you will reap fleshly results. You will reap corruption. It will lead to death, death separation from God. It will kill your faith. Love not the world. If you invest your love in the world, it will destroy your faith in God. If you invest your time on television, invest your time in internet, invest your time in watching all this, all manner of things, that's what you get. Garbage in, garbage out. Romans 8.5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. That's it. <laughs> all you think about is TV programs, TV this one, you know, all we fill your heart is those things. There, will be, there won't be space for the word of God. And Jesus said when the enemy leaves, he will come back and finding the place empty. There won't be space for the most important thing you need. Let my word dwell richly. You know it's no space for it. So how do you win the battle of the pool that comes to us? Those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Things that please the Spirit. If you sow, if you invest in the flesh, you reap corruption. And then the final thing he's talking about here is saying that we must... Not allow ourselves to be deceived to sow evil back to people. Because you see, when you remember how I started, he said, 
what we sow with it. So if somebody is sowing evil and doing you evil, if the devil ever deceives you to pay back, you and him will reap the same thing. Both of you will reap what? Is it not? Is it, this is one law that works all the time. If you put beans, you get beans. If you put orange, you get orange. You can't put orange and be dreaming of apple. It's not going to happen. So if, if somebody is doing you evil, you show them love. You sow your own seed you want to reap. Don't let them deceive you into sowing what will bring you if I had known. If let them be doing at the end of the day, what in seven a man sow it, he will reap. God is not mocked. Don't even bother yourself about it. No matter how they pretend, just don't bother yourself. Don't look at it. Don't speak evil of anybody. Love them, love them. Love. So good, so, so. Keep sowing. It's painful, but you've got to do that. Why you don't want to reap? If you follow them and sow that seed, it will come to you. You'll be a double loser. So Paul says in verse 10, that Galatians is verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the, who have the household of faith. In verse 9, he said, let us never grow weary while doing good, for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose up. <laughs> we not lose up. If we do not lose up. Now, in concluding chapter 6, it says in verse 11, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand, and as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these will compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. 13, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law anyway. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh, boast in their, you know, people that are converted to all this. You must be circumcised now. You have to repent and put in all these conditions. You must do this. You must do that. You must do that. This is none of them. 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He said, my salvation and freedom came from the cross. I cannot boast of what I did. cannot boast of what a man did. I can only boast of what Jesus did. It is on that cross when I believed in him, I was circumcised. My old nature was taken away. That's what he's taking. He's talking about, he said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world was crucified to me. My old nature that loved the world was dead, destroyed there. I died with him in newness of life. He said, that's why I put my faith, my boast is in what my Lord did. And then he now said that, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision avails anything but a new creation. So he said, that new life I got on the cross, it's what matters. It's what matters. That on that cross, where he died, I died. And I rose with him in newness of life. He said, that's what matters. I am set free from the control of sin. I am new, I'm now a new creature. And I'm now a member of the family of God. 
So we should, make, we should only make our boast. And in verse 16, he said, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no man trouble me. As, it's enough. <laughs> For I bear in my body the mass of the Lord Jesus, breathing the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. He says, Amen. Do you really realize that Paul is always invoking grace? A grace on the church. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. Because he said, grace made me what I am. It's, it's, the, it's the spirit of God that makes me what I am. The Bible says, who makes you to be different from God? I say, no God. Brethren, can, can, you, can you really change anybody? Can't change. We are told to preach the gospel. Only the Holy Spirit can convict a man. We're not sent to go and convict them, their sinners. And we're not sent to do that. Because the heart of the king is in his hand. Not in my hand. Not, look, people preach the gospel to me. Oh, I insulted them. Oh, that's not I didn't tell them. Nothing I didn't tell them. Nothing. You know, and when I got saved, I said, why is it that we didn't really see that this thing is so wonderful? Because the way they were presenting it at the campus, they were trying to convict us who are sinners. But God didn't send them, so God didn't confirm it. But I had the pure gospel that said, come and receive salvation. It's for you. Instantly, the Spirit of God showed me like in a vision of my life. It went like a pure, I started crying. It convicted me that I needed Christ. It's he that does that. He doesn't have to show people vision, but I'm telling my personal experience. In one minute, like I saw my life, it was so dirty. If he didn't show me that, there's no way I would have believed that I was that bad. I wouldn't have believed it. No way. He knew that I was stubborn. Because my father was actually thinking, I was born in church. Convince me I'm not born again. What are you talking about? So he had to go, like Paul, he had to go to that extent. And when I saw that, I started to weep. Oh, brethren, only the Holy Spirit, only him can convict a man of sin. You can't. The heart of the king is not in your hand. It's in his hand. The Bible says, who make it to be different from the other? Is he not God? If it's God, why do you boast about it? We were sent to simply preach. Preach is declare. Not to go and convict. Declare that Jesus died for you. If you believe you're saved, that's all you declare. The Spirit of God does the rest. Does the rest. And the same thing, all this arguing with people. Why are you arguing with people all the time? If God doesn't open people's eyes, what's the point? You can't do it. Even you, there are things you still don't know. There are things I still don't know. There are things I still Who has arrived? I have not arrived. In fact, I'm learning. If God doesn't teach me and open my eyes, I won't, I won't even understand my wife. If there are things my wife will be telling me. I'm like, Anna, that is nothing. But after some time, it's like something opens my eye. Pam, pam, pam. I'm like, wow, that is true. Brethren, this is a continuous work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Starts from convicting us that we need Christ to revealing to us the path to go in life, revealing to you this is not going to help you. This is this. And he's showing you by opening your eyes, opening your eyes, and you're walking in the light he's giving you. Now let's go to the book of Ephesians. Interesting book of Ephesians. Awesome. Whoa, this is a journey that is interesting, man. The book of Ephesians is a book written to the church in Ephesus. After writing to the church in Galatia to defend the gospel truth, 
he now writes to explain the gospel. It's amazing. He wrote to defend the gospel. Now he's explaining the details of the gospel in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was not written to correct anything. It was written to explain. It's a teaching book. Every Christian who is interested in understanding Christianity must read, understand, underline the book of Ephesians. It is that important. It's a teacher's manual. Let me quote um, Spurgeon. Spurgeon, one of the most powerful preachers in, in about 150 years ago, 180, I forgot it, from, from Enduring, Web, Enduring World website. This is what Spurgeon said. Whoever will see Christianity in one treatise, in one written book, let him mark, let him learn, let him inwardly digest the book of Ephesians. If you want to see Christianity in totality explained, read the book of Ephesians. So Paul defended the gospel. The next one, he now came and took that thing he was defending and explained it in more detail. That's what the book of Ephesians is like. So let's go to chapter 1. Where we'll stop today, we'll continue this time. Ephesians chapter 1. Man, let me invite you to an exciting trip into the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints, who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the introduction is reminiscent of Paul. Remember that he was, he just got off the book of Galatia. He now said, he was trying to remind them his apostolic authority to write. Because he knew there are people doubting these things. There are people doubting these things. Like he told the preacher, he said, I'm an apostle appointed by Christ. So he started by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So you know that I'm writing you from my apostolic authority came directly from Jesus Christ. So he now said, and grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is what God provides. He said, peace and grace is from our Father. It's what he provides us. It's, that's what God, God provides through Jesus Christ. Watch what I just said. When he finished with the Galatians, he said, grace be with you. So he's telling the Ephesians that the grace of God is what God provides mankind. The peace of God is what God provides mankind. Why? Because God sent the grace of God that brings salvation, appeared to all men. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus came and brought peace between us and God. So he was trying to tell them that grace of God is from God. And the peace that we have with God is also from God. It's not from men. And then in verse 3, in verse 3, he starts to enumerate our privileges, explaining the details of the joy of being a Christian. Every Christian must read the book of Ephesians. Let's start from verse 3. We read it all the way to verse 13. From verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has, I want you to mark these things Paul is re revealing to us by the Spirit. Who has blessed, not going to, not going to, you don't have to, it's, it's yours, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. He said when you come to Christ, God has blessed you with every blessing heaven has. Why? You are Heirs of God, 
and cohere with Jesus. So if you're ahead of God, you own everything he owns. It's, it's mind-boggling, but that is true. But why do we live as if, as if this is not real? Could it be that we really don't know? Could it be we don't know? Could it be we read these things and we don't really know it? Because it's only the truth you know that works. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He didn't wait for you to come. God chose you before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That is grace will make us holy. Clean us up by, his, by the blood of Jesus. Clean us up and create us new creatures that have the life of God in true holiness and righteousness. He said, just as he chose us in him, he chose us in him. That if we come in Christ, that this is what he will do. So he's not, he, don't, he's not, he didn't do it because you came crying. No, 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 no. He chose you. He chose us in him before the foundation of this world. God decided and made up his mind that anybody who comes to Christ, that God will make him holy. God will wash him clean. God will make him righteous. God will restore him to re relationship with him. He, he decided it before, before the foundation of the world, people. Verse 5. It says in verse 5, having predestined us. What is that? He had purposed it in his heart. Just like he said in verse 4, he, he decided it, that this is a pre-purposed thing. Predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. God has proposed it. God has planned it. God has his, his plan that if you come into Christ, he will adopt you as his son. All you need to do is to accept Christ and come into Christ. Adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to good pleasure of his will. Six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, so that we can see the, 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 the uncommon love of God, the holiness of his love, his purity of, the purity of his love, the purity of his grace, that there is nothing on earth you can use to begin to compare the grace of God. Nothing. One man wrote, he said, amazing grace, amazing. It's amazing. It's all the totality of divine holiness. If somebody does something for you, say, oh, this man is good, though. God said, this reveals to you the glory of my grace. How good I am. That I'm giving you this things free at my own cost. Is that what somebody will come and tell you, you have to do this before you get? Is that grace? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Praise of the glory. The grace of God shows his glory, people. His unusual love that passes all understanding. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. He said, this is amazing. He made us accepted in, the in Christ. In love. It's his love. 
He's not doing it because he has to. He's not doing it under obligation. He loves us for real. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The redemption is not through your crying. The redemption is through his blood. Church, listen to the word. Can it be we don't believe the truth and we're not experiencing, we're struggling? Struggling with everything? Struggling with fear? Struggling with this? Being defeated? Can it be that our redemption is through his blood? Through his blood. You have been redeemed through his blood. The forgiveness of sins all came through his blood. This is my blood. This is being shed for the remission of your sins. We do it at the Holy Communion all the time. All the time. I mean all the time. We even stand and sing, it's not by words or righteousness, but by his grace. We sing it all. Is it possible that we sing these things and we don't believe them? Is it possible? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace, unmerited, amazing grace. Verse 8. Which he made a bound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us now the mystery of his will. He's revealing the mystery of his will. His plan that wasn't revealed before. He's revealing it now. According to his good pleasure, which he proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, in him. We become one family. As it is in heaven. So, the family of God is not divided. Jesus came to bring us into family. That was why he was introducing us, introducing God to us as your father. It's a very important introduction. He never failed to point to God as our father. I go to my God, to your God, and my father, and your father. If you ask the father in my name, he loves you like he loves me. I am going to him. He's your father too. You have come into his family as members of the household. So all the blessings of the family are yours. All the privileges of the family are yours. It's mind-boggling. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In him. We are still going to meet all of us in heaven. But right now, we are the same family now. When you read about the church, you're talking about Zion, you know, our meeting. It talks about, you know, those, those souls that have been purified, the righteous that are here, angels are here, God is here, the spirit of Christ is here. It, it, it's a mighty gathering of the family. We, we see members of the family we don't see are here. Oh, God, the, the, the prophet said, God, open the eyes of this man. So you see who is here? We don't see. They are here. We, we want family, brethren. Do you know that most of the songs we start singing is what the angels are singing? They inspire us and we start singing. We sing the same thing with them. 
verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. What is inheritance? Is inheritance, is it not what your father gives you? We have an inheritance. All the blessings of heaven, we have inherited them through Christ. Being predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, that our lives will bring glory to him as he manifests these things by his spirit in our life. Verse 13, in him, we're not done, in him you also trusted after you had the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed in him now, having simply believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. He says, when you believed in him, he gave you his spirit too. And because you have his spirit, you belong to him. And that spirit is a guarantee that all these blessings of God are yours. Because you belong to him. Because you are his son. Because we are, we are sons. We call Abba Father. If you don't have the spirit, you are none of his. Then Paul began to pray that God will open our eyes to know these things. That God will open our eyes to know these things. I think I should read it. Verse 15. Let me read it quickly to 22. Therefore, I also, can you give me just extra three minutes there? Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. Making mention of you in my prayer. So this prayer that Paul prayed here, I recommend it to every pastor, every church leader. You prayed for your church, prayed for your group you lead, prayed for your family. I'm most importantly, pray it for yourself. Because if, the, listen, the problem, with, the thing between me and a, a, a problem is the truth I don't know about it. The moment I know the truth about it, that problem ceases to be a problem. That truth works. So this prayer to open our eyes is very important. If you want to be healed, pray that God will open your eyes about healing. If you're having an issue, say, God, I want to know the truth about this situation. And God will reveal it to you. And the moment you know the truth, it works for you. So this prayer said, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the blessings, do not cease to give thanks for you. Making mention of you in my prayer number one, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So that you know God. Those who know their God are strong and powerful. And they do exploit. Number two. 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the sense? So you know why he called you. Why did, he call, why did he, his son die for you? He said, I called you to adopt you as my son. So you live in, your life will show my glory. I, I, to adopt you as my son, to be your father. And then he said, then because now he has adopted you, you should know the riches, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. All the riches of God for you should know them so that you enjoy them. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So you see, the power that worketh in us. 
we should know how great. You know, the Lord told me, he said, my power is limitless. <laughs> I said, yeah. He says, it's limitless. There's no limit to what he can do. 20. Quit he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. It is for our benefit that God put all things under the feet of Jesus. Because we are his body. So when God put all things under his feet, he put all things under my feet. Put all things under my feet. Not just the devil. He put all things under my control. Because I reign here in Christ. Subjected everything to our feet. He said he did it for the benefit of, our, of the body. For your benefit, for my benefit. God himself subjected everything under your feet. So you can reign. You can reign. He has subjected sin under your feet. Subjected the devil under your feet. Subjected the world under your feet. So you can reign to the glory of his name. But we must know the truth. Paul said God should open our eyes to know this truth. You don't do it because you don't hear it once. No, it has to get into your spirit. It has to, the seed must get into your spirit to produce. And that's where the problem is. This prayer is very important. I pray it every day. I prayed for you. Every day I prayed for you. Oh God, I pray for you. I do. And I pray for myself, pray for my family, pray for my children, grandchildren. I prayed for all of men. I, because I know that if this ever happens to you and you know the truth, you will fly. You will fly. You, your life will begin to reveal his glory. And that's his purpose of calling you to be his son. So that through you, he will reveal his glory to the world. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. So next Thursday, we'll go to chapter 2 of Ephesians. We've done finished Galatians chapter 6 today, Ephesians chapter 1 today. So next Thursday, we go to chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. An interesting journey. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege to study these things, to know these things. To you be all the glory. It is your will for us to know the things of the kingdom. Lord, we trust you. Because nobody, I, can't deal, I can't deal with my heart. Neither can I deal with anybody's heart. Only you, only you, only you can deal with me and deal with us. The heart, my heart, all our hearts are in your hand. Only you can open our eyes. Nobody can do it. No, Lord, nobody can. And teach us these things. Except you do it, prove. Nobody can do it. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by your spirit things happen. Lord, we trust this into your hand. That this word will bear fruit in every year. That our lives will show forth your glory. We can't live in defeat. We can't live in confusion. It doesn't show forth your glory. Thank you, faithful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.